This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And today we are going to be talking about my DNA journey. Uh, before we get into this episode, as always, I would like to thank our sponsors for helping keep Militantly Mixed going and growing. Um, I'm just overwhelmed by the knowledge that people are willing to contribute financially to this thing that I made. I've said before many times that I created this podcast for entirely selfish reasons and that I wasn't seeing anything that was like this and this was something that I needed. I needed a space where I could connect to other mixed race people and share our experiences and push representation for mixed race people in the media. And so because I didn't see it out there or at least not see enough of it out there, I made my own version. And the fact that it is connected with people at all is amazing and exciting for me. I'm very grateful to the audience that I have and hopeful for the audience that we will have in the future. But with the contributions, it's it's just a surprise that people are willing to to pay to help keep me going. And I know it kind of sounds maybe like a low self-esteem thing, but it's not really that. It's I think it's more about being sort of one person and seven billion people on this planet and that whether people find me through social media or through a friend or or a family member, whatever it is, that they take the time to listen and continue to listen is also something that I'm very grateful for. I'm grateful to the people who connect with me on social media just to tell me how the show affects them. And I'm grateful to the people who actually share their stories on the show. I got a message earlier today that was thanking me for what I'm doing. And I've gotten this a number of times where it's just like, thank you so much for what you're doing. And in that moment, I felt like, well, I'm not really doing anything. What I'm doing is... I want to talk to mixed race people. I find mixed race people that are willing to talk to me on my show. And then they do all the work. They're the ones that are putting their stories out there, their their happiness, their sadness, their trauma, their healing um, as it relates to mixed raceness. And I clip it together and upload it. And then you guys get to hear it. I, I'm not trying to belittle my contribution, but I feel like bit by bit, you're going to get more out of me. Uh, you know, I haven't really done a proper origin story type thing. You, you've heard a bunch of little things here and there throughout every episode. And if you listen to the other show militantly mixed black as fuck edition you get you get some stuff there too but i haven't done like a proper like full-on this is charmaine's story so this is kind of the first version of that it's not the full picture but it is the dna portion of that picture and i and this was actually an episode that was available to our patreon sponsors exclusively or early i guess for the last month so if you were or are a patreon sponsor you've already had access to this episode and now this is the public release of the same information so i'm glad to finally be able to share it with the public audience because now I can walk around and talk about my this new discovery that I have now in my life that uh, what my African origin is. So before I get too far, if you do want to sponsor this show, you can go to www.patreon.com slash militantly mix and sponsor us uh, monthly for as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you want. There are different reward levels depending on the, uh, you know, what you sign up for. And you do have to be a sponsor for at least two months for the gifts to come to kick in. And then after, with the exception of like, the content and stuff that ends up going on there, but um, the swag or whatever takes a couple months uh, just to offset those costs. And the other option is you can donate one time only on paypal.me slash militantly mix. And I said last week, I don't have it posted 
anywhere what the reward levels are for the one-time only sponsorships, but we'll make sure we'll get that on our website when we do get that completed. I'm sorry that that's taking so long to get done, but it's, you know, it's a, it's kind of a lot of work and I have limited skills. I do have a cousin that is helping me on it. Um, you know, when he can, he also is full-time employed. So we're going to get that up <laughs> soon, hopefully. But in the meantime, you know, the social media is pretty much where you can get all the information about the show. So if you want to communicate with us through social media, that is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed, or you can send me an email at Charmaine at Militantly Mixed.com. And that's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E at Militantly Mixed.com. Okay, so I think that's all the logistics stuff again. And uh, let's just slip into the story as to why we're doing the DNA episode. This week, we are revisiting with a guest from episode 10, Raised by Rap, uh, with Jules. And if you listen to the episode and you listen to the show, then you know that Jules was my very first person I ever got in contact with with relation to Militantly Mixed after I started posting on social media looking for guests, mixed race guests to participate. And since he was the first one that I'd spoken to and I didn't really know quite how I was going to put it together, we had arranged a Skype call, like a video chat for about 10 to 15 minutes in which I was going to explain what my ideas were for the show, see what his opinions are on what he wanted to speak about. And then we were going to schedule our main recording after that. But that first what was supposed to be that quick little video call turned into you know something over an hour and some change in which we we covered all kinds of stuff. We talked about how his journey through DNA informed kind of his, you know, learning about his identity or at least accepting some of his identity. It answered some questions that they had had about their family in the past. Um, he talked about his art and how he used his art to process his mixed race journey, not to mention a bunch of other stuff that kind of came up and it. it was incredibly therapeutic, which I've mentioned before, and it was surprisingly emotional for me. And it made me realize exactly what this show was supposed to be, which was just telling mixed stories from the mixed race perspective. And, you know, I already had that sort of mission statement, but it didn't quite click to me until talking to Jules that first time. It was really about not just me interviewing people like, what's it like to be mixed? Or what do you enjoy about being mixed? Or what, what's hard about being mixed? You know, it wasn't anything like that. It, it had to be from the person's own mouth what their experience was as a mixed race person. And and so that conversation informed the format of the show. And I, as I've said before, I'm really grateful to Jules for get, sharing that experience with me. Honestly, it was organic situation between us. But, you know, because of that experience, Militantly Mix has become what it is. And I really enjoy what has happened to the show because it did go a different direction than I had originally conceived. But I love this version of it so much more. And uh, so because of Jules' explanation of his DNA journey, and I was part of the way through mine, we had already started the AfricanAncestry.com DNA kit, which is pretty expensive and it takes a really long time. It took about four months from um, start to finish. And I wasn't the one who was able to take the test. I I had reached out to a male family member because they do their tests both matrilineal and patrilineal. And since my father is the one who is of African descent, and he is no longer alive. Plus, we didn't get along very well when he was alive. Um, I had to find a male relative that was willing to participate with me so that I made sure that I got the right sample for the test. And um, so I did have a male relative. I paid for the for the test and he did the DNA sample portion of it. And we got our results back after four months. So I was already waiting for those results when I talked to Jules. But I wasn't an, I wasn't planning on doing the Ancestry.com thing until actually I talked to him because I, I didn't have a whole lot of curiosity about the other parts of my ethnicity because I had known what I thought 
was enough to know. In terms of the Japanese side, there's not a really deep dive on the Asian side that any of these DNA tests do. And to the best of my knowledge, there isn't like an Asian equivalent to the African ancestry test. Um, so I figured pretty confidently that, you know, my percentages would be high in terms of Japanese. You know, I managed, I imagine there would be a little bit of mixing of some other kind of Asian in, in small percentages here and there, but it wasn't necessarily important. My family on that side can trace back for like 500 years to feudal Japan, the Matsumoto clan of the samurai. So I felt like pretty grounded in my Japanese origin and anything like that. I didn't have a whole lot of questions there. In terms of the white side, again, not an area that I had that many questions. I The only white relative I kn- I've known, as you have heard on the show several times, was my British grandmother. And I have adopted a little bit of British culture through my experience growing up with her living in the same house and everything and um, on and off throughout my childhood. And I, I, I love British comedy and things like that. So I, I still feel kind of connected to British culture to a degree or at least in my own version of it and um, didn't have a whole lot of questions there. For the other side of the family, my mom's white side of the family, we were told that we were um, Irish, German, mongrel, Appalachian folk, you know, kind of dug in Americana types. And that was all I knew. And uh, the origin of our last name is is, uh, German, or or it could be Irish also, because they also have a similar last name, just spelled differently. And so not growing up in those cultures, I felt like I had the information that I needed. And with the exception of just some, you know, curiosity about Germany and Ireland, here and there, I didn't really need much more. But hearing from Jules kind of the surprises of the things they didn't know and what he discovered or the, um, you know, kind of little gems here and there, the things that made him happy, hearing those moments made me want to probably dive a little bit deeper. And there are some surprises I did not expect. So I am glad that ultimately I ended up doing both tests. The, you know, the goal for the African ancestry test was to give me that bridge back to Africa, which is something I've wanted my whole life. And now that I have that, I know what country of origin my ancestors were from. I know what tribes some of my ancestors were from. And so now not only do I have a bridge back to Africa, but I actually have the option, you know, if I can save up enough money and ever be able to afford to go, I can do a pilgrimage back to where my ancestors came from. And that was something I was never going to have if not for the African ancestry test. So um, that was the biggest part of the journey that was important to me. And then I had all these surprises from Ancestry.com. There are ethnic groups that we were under the impression we have belonged to that we have found out we don't actually belong to at all. There are new ethnic groups that were never even on our radar and no family member has ever even mentioned that we were part, you know, potentially part mixed with those things that are now on my roster and at higher percentages that I would have even imagined as well. So now I have this whole section of investigation that I didn't have before that I can do now because of the Ancestry.com test. So we'll get, I'll get further into it when I share it with Jules. I'm not going to spoil the, the whole deal until you get a chance to hear that. And I do hope you enjoy getting this little window into me. I guess, and and my current journey through my DNA. Welcome back, Jules. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to talk to you again. Again. It's been a while, yeah. I mean, I've yeah, talked to you, definitely. we've talked a few times at this point, but it has been a while since the last time, the last mm-hmm. time we talked. Uh, but I wanted to bring you back because when we first started talking, we touched on sort of your DNA story and what that opened up for you in terms of like your identity. Uh, we talked about how the, you know, people that would say something like, uh, you know, oh, you're not regular black or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. what kind of black are you and things. And, and so that, uh, 
we talked a little bit about it and I was in the process of getting my results. I was waiting for my results when we talked. So I wanted to bring you back because I have my results now and you have your results. So let's mm-hmm. let's talk about our DNA stories and, and see how that informed our, our current identities. Well, I mean, you, you're the one with the big surprises. So I think, you know, you're holding on to more than I am. I think I kind of let go of some of mine. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, mine's I, a little bit fresher because you, you had some time to deal with it. But just real fast, why don't you do a little recap of sort of what you discovered about your what you thought you were and then what you discovered about you and then and then we can go into mine okay um so i I grew up believing that i was you know native american um in some form or or another um that turned out to be false um i'm actually uh 24 ivory coast and ghana and 24% Cameroon and Congo. Um, so those four regions kind of like make up basically the most of my African ancestry. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's also uh, Nigeria and Senegal and um, Western European, uh, some of which I knew about on my father's side. Uh, some Asian that I'm, I can't really pinpoint. It could be India, could be you know China for all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just little things like that, low percentages. Um, but you know, just being able to place a country and a flag to my African ancestry was a right. big deal for me now. Yeah, I mean, so something that I've always said since I was, I was like a freshman in high school in, in sort of 1992, 93, when the term African-American had started to take effect. Like before that, um, we still had the generation of folks that were still referring to themselves as Afro-American and, it, and we still had a few people like older generation that were referring to themselves as Negro. Um, but for the most part, throughout my childhood, we were black. And then mm-hmm. I became, you know, 14, 15 years old and at the term African-American became a thing. And at that time, um, sort of the, the back to Africa ideas were coming back during that time. So we, you know, we were wearing, we were wearing, you know, bright colors colors or we we're wearing African patterns, cross colors, medallions, medallions, African medallions, like yeah. medallions with African on it, things like that, mm-hmm. gold, gold um, change that had African pendants and stuff. And mm-hmm. so like that was the big thing that was going on at sort of that critical point for me when I was trying to place my identity, my mixed race identity. And the thing is, like, I always felt black, even though I looked the way that I looked, because that's where I was raised. Like I was raised in, in the hood. There was mostly black faces around me. There was black faces in my house. There was black faces at my school, you know, um, and and so I felt black and I when the term African-American popped up, I didn't really like it because it was based on a continent and because I knew the only African that I knew at the time was white <laughs> and like a literal like moved to the States from South Africa, the whole thing. And mm-hmm. and so while I understand colonialism, obviously, because it's literally in my blood, um, I it was hard for me to make that thing about, well, like, what do those white people call themselves if they come from Africa? Uh, you know, and he was he was an American citizen by that point. So he was literally in terms of where he came from and where he was at an African-American at that point. So I really struggled with the term and I didn't like it. And I, mm-hmm. I never adopted it, even even after all these years. Um, I mean, that's an interesting kind of like flip. Yeah. Sound like an African-American. Like he was like a literal one in the same way that I yeah. think that even Obama counts as a literal African-American because his father's Kenyan, his mother's mm-hmm. white American. He was mm-hmm. born here. He is an African-American. So, like, I didn't feel comfortable making that claim, but I felt comfortable making the claim that I was black. And um, and plus, I just love 
blackness. I just loved. It's just one of those things where it's like depending on where you place the emphasis, it'll change the whole meaning of that whole term. Right, right. It really does. Because I had a friend. There's like three said, ways it can be taken. It can be taken completely ambiguous. It can be taken leaning towards one way and it can be taken leaning towards the other. But even then it has like no anchor in mm-hmm. any. Yeah. And it's just like your environment can speak to so many different things. Because I had a friend mm-hmm. that like from, you know, uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, we were pretty tight and, and we were just kids together, you know, and then freshman year comes by and, you know, the sort of African-American uh, pro-Africa black push happened and she became, you know, she got really immersed in that. And so like for her, the term African-American gave her power and she felt like she felt connected back. And, and because I didn't, it kind of, it, it was a subtle gap between us, but our friendship started to fizzle as that because also in, t- in terms of that, I wasn't black enough. I was no longer black enough for her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she started to notice that I was mixed. She, you know, that stuff that we didn't pay attention to when we were little, we were now paying attention to. And mm-hmm. and so it ended up dr- driving a wedge between us. And so I have like some scars. I have like some legit scars in terms of the uh, Africa, African-American. Mm-hmm. But I have always wanted that bridge to Africa. I've always wanted something that made me feel like I understood even to a small degree what happened to my ancestors you know mm-hmm. we, we tried to reach out to uh, plantations that uh, our families came from or at least my granddad told me that he was helping me do that um, I, I've sensed through my DNA and a connection to a cousin I didn't know I have now found out that the stuff my grandfather claimed he, t- he did and the stuff he told me was false but um, I uh, you know I wanted that bridge I wanted to have like you hear some of the stories but I wanted to know what was the thing you know where were we from where were we stolen from what cultures Mm -hmm. am i now missing as a result of what happened you know and um and so in talking to you i was i wasn't gonna do the dna test honestly i I, not for me i i had set up to do the african ancestry one um and i couldn't take it because my my african um dna would come from my father my father is no longer alive and um i i'm not in in contact with too many of my relatives i I am so some of my cousins and such, but um, it's a mixed bag between the cousins that have black from both sides of their family and black from just us and things like that. So I didn't really know who to reach out to. Um, I did finally end up reaching out to a, a male relative that um, we still haven't talked about whether or not he wants me to, to talk about it with him publicly, but um, he agreed to spit in the tube if I paid for it. Like I, I, I hit him up and I was like, if I pay for this test, will you spit in the tube? Um, and he's like, yeah, sure. Why not? And, um, and so he ended up doing the test for me, but the African ancestry test takes a really long time. It was four months from the time my um, my relative received that DNA kit to the time that we got the results, um, which was pretty much a trip. And in that time, I talked to you and I was waiting for the results and I was excited about f- finally having that bridge, especially after hearing your, your reaction. So I'd seen some reaction videos online, but they didn't really mean as much to me as talking to you did because you were talking about how like it filled in all these blanks that you were kind of wondering about sort of your face and and how people sort of responded to you 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 were aware yeah. of the um european on your dad's side but you you know you didn't really have full stories and stuff like that so um i was excited once i talked to you and i ended up doing the ancestry kit for myself as well um that way i can fill in some of the stuff that i wasn't going to get from the african ancestry and uh and here's where the surprises came from um on my mom's side they're japanese german irish and um and from those stories we always heard that there was Native American in them, um, possibly Blackfoot 
or Cherokee. Um, they were like Appalachian, like her father was from Appalachian, West Virginia folk. Um, to the degree that we even know, I think that his parents, my great grandparents were related, you know, like they were Appalachian people. Okay. <laughs> and, wow. um, and then Japanese was pretty clean. Uh, my family on my mom's side, um, the Japanese side can trace back uh, quite a far way into feudal Japan area. We, we were from the Matsumoto clan of the samurai. And I don't know, I'm sure my family knows, but I don't know in, in sort of which rank of the Matsumoto clan we were. But um, there was still a uniform of one of my great, great ancestors uh, in the main house in Japan um, that I, from what I understand, it's cousins of my grandmother that, that still keep to this day. Uh, so like we had some foundation on the Japanese side and the and and on my my mom's white side and then my dad is was half black and half Caucasian British and I knew that my great grandmother was Welsh so you know I knew there was a I figured we were like a mongrel mix of all of the the you know English Irish German whiteness you know I figured that was that seemed pretty clear but on my black side we were under the impression we were black Seminole Native American um, which was sort of the the, the people that had arose from uh, runaway slaves and the uh, Seminoles that brought them in and they sort of mixed up and then separated into two separate uh, groups and the black Seminoles was what I was told my great-grandfather was mixed with and he had a face like uh, we had photos of him and he looked native but he was dark like really dark skin and my granddad was really dark skin um, and so even though my my dad is biracial he was on the darker side of, of sort of what biracial people tend to look like um, though his mm. brothers and sisters range from a very light skinned sister to um, you know different things like that so like I knew we had some stuff in us and I knew I figured there was a there was actually quite a bit of white on the African side because my great grandmother on my dad's side um, on the black side of my dad's family she was very light skinned enough that I think in olden times she could have been considered white passing but probably less so in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> so like I knew, I figured we had a lot of white on our black side and everything like that. I was really worried going into the DNA test that I was going to find out that I was like only like 9% black or whatever, even as dark mm-hmm. as my granddad was. I was I was just going to be like, like, what if I find out that this thing that I identify with the most is like the least <laughs> thing that I'm mixed with? Um, but that wasn't, that was one of the surprises that I found in my results. Um, my African actually does come up to 22% of the 25% that, you know, in terms of the quarter system, my my grand, great grandmother's from Great Britain, my or my grandmother's from Great Britain on my dad's side, my grandmother's from Japan on my mom's side, my granddad is Black American on my dad's side, and my other grandfather is White American. So in terms of that quarter system, I was really surprised to find out that we were still 22% African. And from the Ancestry.com DNA, which we I took that test and got the results back faster than we did the African Ancestry one, because they don't fuck around. They are going to mm-hmm. tell you where you are from. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you pay a little bit <laughs> for that one. But um, so we came out with 12% from Nigeria, um, 6% uh, African Southeastern Bantu, Senegal, 3%, and Benin Togo tribe, about 1%. Mm-hmm. So that's like that I was surprised that we had that much that much African in us and I was also surprised that it was from so much many parts um, mm-hmm. and so I did a little research since then and found out that the um, the Bantu people started in East Africa and sort of migrated down south and then worked their way up uh, the African continent into and settling into uh, Western Africa which is why I have predominantly Western African you know DNA in me obviously because that's part of the transatlantic slave trade as well mm-hmm. um, but that the story 
it comes from all these places. And I think you kind of had something like that too, right? Where you were just like, I couldn't believe there were so many countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, little four percent here, three percent there. Like even like Mali is four percent. Um, my my Benin Togo is three percent. Um, my Senegal is eight percent. And then yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's pretty. That's pretty interesting. At least what I've learned more now about the Bantu people is how much, how many people probably come from them. Originate. Yeah, yeah. like you know. Um, so that that part's been fun. On the on the other side of my family, what was a surprise is that um, we've been told we were German Irish on my mom's side uh, from her father. We have a German last name um, on that side of the family, and yeah. uh, we're not German at all. <laughs> wow. Actually, they're Scandinavian. So uh, I discovered the nine percent Scandinavian, and I was like, what? Like it just no one has ever told this. Wow. Story. Like no one has ever said that that's where they come from. Um, and it's also weird to think that I have like that kind of white in me like that's the whitest of white like Mm -hmm. it's a trip to find that out um the irish and scottish and stuff like that all made sense because i have that on both sides of my family it appears um wales and things like that um my my asian is 22 percent, so that's curious i'd like to know why i didn't have a you know what is also in my grandmother's dna but they don't do as much asian you know in-depth there's no like african ancestry version for asians Asians. yeah Yeah. like until that comes i won't know i mean we have our theories because my my grandfather was darker skin as in terms of how japanese are and things like that so it's possible that um during the occupation uh when the many times when we went in and occupied korea or china that we probably mixed in with somebody but um but yeah so so those were kind of the surprises i also found out in terms of my 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 mother's father's side of the family that they have been here since the 1700s i thought they were ellis island people you know especially like being from germany and and ireland and stuff like that i thought they were coming over on the boats um but they actually have a dna marker that puts them here between 1700 and 1750 and so that means that my white side is actually here that it predates america and i was really surprised about that kind of stuff so all of that stuff was really neat um i've had some weird people reach out to me some Mm -hmm. weird white people on ancestry.com where they're just like hey i didn't know i had black relatives you know Mm -hmm. like i don't have black in me but according to this we're like cousins or fourth cousins i even had someone send me kind of a gross message that was like uh oh my gosh you're gorgeous hey cuz or something like that and i was like oh okay and that was a, that was a white lady um so there's been some weird things that have happened as a result of ancestry.com is that yeah. the one that you did ancestry.com yeah i know exactly what you're talking about so you were getting people doing that to you too no nobody sent me any messages it was just like um potential cousins and things like that would come up on my like my tree but i didn't get like any messages now okay. like that I only got messages from white folks, white folks that were sort of intrigued by no- by the knowledge that at some point I became black and they weren't like mm-hmm. those are the people that were reaching out to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I had like uh, one or two like white people who like I looked and they really didn't appear to share any of my features. But for the most part, most of the people who came up on my on my tree, it was kind of obvious. Oh, you that, could tell um, there was. We, yeah, I could kind of tell. Yeah. So I, those, some, some of those people I kind of just quietly added and kept it moving like nobody really stood out so I guess mm-hmm. I didn't have kind of those adverse reactions and um, that's interesting to hear though yeah I, I, see I, my, my Scandinavian is negative um, 
less than one <laughs> percent. Yeah, that's so that's a trip. I was really surprised, and I think you know it is possible too that there's still probably maybe German mixed in there because they're the same kind of region, but mm-hmm, like they don't mm-hmm. deep dive as much on that on that part. But to to consider that like my my mother's father's family had what they believed was strong German roots. That's the part that's kind of surprising. Yeah, to me, yeah. Is that whatever point they came here, they adopted a culture of the area that they were at when they don't actually mm-hmm. share DNA with those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that actually made me curious. And probably out of a sense of survival, probably right. also was going on at the time. Yeah, that just could be clinging true to something. Too. Yeah. But you know, I think they tell the stories. You know, like they were mountain folks, so they probably tell the stories of mixing with with natives and things like that. And it's just passed down from generation to generation, so that by the time it gets to my grandfather, he thinks we're mm-hmm. you know like Blackfoot and you know all this other kind of stuff. But like my 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 white grandfather, though I don't know him and I've only seen him a handful of times in my life, he he was like a a, a reddish haired white man that sang country western music like he couldn't be more the opposite of the person that I am like mm-hmm. the you know it's so it's weird to, to not only share DNA with someone um, that comes from that different of a culture from from how I ended up being but um, but that there's all this there's there's this new stuff about him his family now that I am now curious about that I never had curiosity for like my curiosity was mostly on my black and Japanese sides like mm-hmm. I didn't really um, you know I felt like there was so much pain in the in the colonialist side of my family that I didn't really want to know more about them but I am a little curious I would say that now I am curious in a way that I wasn't before um so yeah because the, the actions tend to summarize those people I guess now you have more of a uh, a need to know or want to know about their day-to-day as opposed to because you already know who they were as people because that you know they're summarized by yeah their actions but yeah, yeah. not to get the sense of their motivations or you know just how they were how they were brought up what I would also kind of feel like I would want to know is you know I always assume because these were some poor Appalachian folk that they weren't slave owners you know mm-hmm. things like that that I didn't have to deal with that on their side um, that if anything I would have slave owner blood in me because my great grandmother was so light so some somewhere somebody you know at, my, my great grandmother was born in um, 1897 or 1898 or something like that like she was so so knowing the age that she was in the likelihood that the white that it was in her blood, you know, was voluntary, mm-hmm. you know, didn't seem very likely to me. So, um, so I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I just don't, we, that far, we don't know. Um, but we did finally get the results back from the African ancestry thing. And I was not, I didn't expect it to change the way I felt about my identity. And I don't know how much you feel knowing what you know now affects your identity. Do you, do you feel like it's more of just like informational now? You're still black or you're still this, but now you know this history or like how do you, how do you, how does it make you feel in terms of? I mean, I, I am who I am. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I, I think the, my experiences coming up have are still kind of I still kind of cling to, you know. Um, so the direction I was kind of pushed in terms of like feeling like an outsider to a degree. Right. Um, I think that's still kind of it's going to stick with me regardless. I think now just having the information now to where you know it can't be used against me. It can't be weaponized, right. you know, against me now because it's, it's information now. I know what to do with it. I know where I can go, you know, if I do need to go somewhere. Um, and I haven't experienced that feeling at all. But now I feel like I've been able to kind of get on top of it and take control over it um, and kind of take some ownership 
over like now it's something that i kind of like i've embraced you know it's something that was running from me before it was something mm-hmm. i was chasing after and that was kind of something that i walk hand in hand with so right. you know i, I kind of was able to formulate an identity um independent of what my origins were so now i kind of have two identities you know i have like the person that i am that is very much preference and interest based mm-hmm. um and very much you know shaped by you know external forces and then i have this other thing over here you know that's that you know like the the, the records on my wall the flag on my wall that I can look up and I can kind of point to and I can look at it as a whole or I can look at it as individual parts and um, it's, it's, it's cool man it's, it's empowering Hey y'all, it's your girl Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, and I am briefly interrupting this episode to shout out a new Patreon sponsor. I had actually finalized this episode about a week ago because it was something I had already had cut and released to our Patreon sponsors, as you heard in our intro. But I found out that we got a new Patreon sponsor, so it's important to me that I make sure that we shout out our Patreon sponsors in a timely fashion. And this one is actually a special one for me. So shout out this week to Aiden McGlynn, our new Patreon sponsor. He is actually a friend of mine from way back. He and my husband went to grad school together. And when he first came to the States, we he stayed with us for a little bit until his place was ready. So we bonded pretty early on in uh, their graduate experience, and he's been a good friend throughout our time in Texas and continues to be a good friend now, even though we haven't seen each other in, gosh, what would it be? Maybe 10 years or so, maybe, or no, maybe like eight years or so. Uh, But anyways, Aiden has actually been a big supporter of the show from the beginning. As early as I started to to tweet about it and things, he was sharing it and retweeting me. Uh, Because of him, I believe we have more of a UK uh, following because of his reach. And I've actually been in touch with someone who had responded to one of his tweets and, um, in relation to the show. So I he's a, he's a big advocate for the show and a supportive friend. And I'm very grateful to you, Aiden. So thanks, Aiden. Aiden. Yeah, it's, to say the least, it's that's the weird part about it, right? It's like, in terms of the actual effect on your day to day, there is none, right? Then it's now not, that not you just all. know this information. Mm-hmm. But what it gives you, I guess, again, it, it goes back to that idea where I was looking for a bridge to Africa. Like now, I feel mm-hmm. there are bridges mm-hmm. to all these places. That, exactly. You know, I only cared about in terms of them existing on the earth. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of other things going on there. Um, mm-hmm. So when we did finally get the African ancestry results back. I was I was excited. I certainly was excited. Um, but I wasn't thinking that it was going to affect my identity. And I wasn't sure how curious I was going to be afterwards. Um, I felt like I, I would like obviously I wouldn't have paid what I paid if I didn't really want to know. But for some reason, it just felt like knowing was finally going to be the thing that was important. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, so we got back our results. And um, and I've seen reaction videos where they said that the the letters would say that we have a 97% confidence rate or we have a 92% confidence rate. Our family's results came back with a 100% confidence rate. Wow. I was like, that actually is the thing that stuns me more than even the results. The results are just, now I'm armed with this information, but the yeah. confidence level in terms of the paternal like African that we are is it's unquestionable. So yeah. here's the fun thing is that my 
paternal DNA comes from three tribes in Africa, and it's with 100% confidence. And those are the, uh, and I hope I pronounce it correctly, but I don't know, the Sogo, the Atike, and the Kota people, which are currently living in Gabon. And um, what I liked about that was even my African was mixed, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so so Gabon does go up on the back of, like, they brought their border with Nigeria. So that makes sense as to why mm-hmm. Ancestry.com would say that I am Nigerian mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, and the Kota people, they actually were on both sides of the border. So, like, you know, in terms of when they ended up drawing the borders later on, yeah. they kind of span both sides. Um, but the Kota people or were also a polygamy tribe, yeah. which is, yeah. the, you know, multiple wives, such a generation. And um, it's funny to me because I am also polyamorous as yeah. one of my identities as uh, my, my partners and I can have multiple relationships, loving relationships, not just sexual relationships. And so mm. it kind of made me laugh to find that out about them because it's like the joke the now that it's, it's, it's in my blood. <laughs> it's literally. It's like, I want more. It's literally who you are. Yeah, like it comes from my, it comes in my DNA. Um, That's incredible. So the, the uh, I believe from what I was looking up, the, the Atike and the Kota people both share mm. the Bantu connection. I think it's, or it's the Sogo, the Sogo and the Kota. I, damn, I had it written down, but I've, I've forgotten since. But yeah, so like I, you know, now I have, I'm armed with that information, at least on, in terms of the paternal African. Um, but through this process, I've also kind of reconnected with somebody that had introduced themselves to me on Facebook years ago as a cousin of mine. And then she was sort of the family historian. And uh, she had been gathering stuff about DNA and our family trees for years. But I, I only talked to her once and then I kind of lost con- uh, contact for a couple of years. But because of this, I reached back out to her. And so now we've actually talked to, um, a little bit and she's filled in the gaps of the stuff because I was wondering like, well, where's the native? Because on mm-hmm. both sides of my family, I thought we were Native American. Turns out we're not. Um, you know, and what about these plantations that my granddad told us we came off of? And, you know, when he was helping me with my seventh grade project, well, you know, like we had a seventh grade project where we were trying to tell about our history and I was like I can't talk about my history unless I talk about Africa you know uh, slavery you know and um, and she's filled in some gaps for me basically like I already knew that my granddad wasn't the most honest person on the planet but but like that he would go so far as like to tell a child that he's done he's written these letters for her and and he found out this information. Like, he basically told us that the there was a plantation um, in Louisiana that refused to share the information because they didn't want um, to remember that side of their family history. Um, and that the other family did tell us that we came uh, from Missouri, from a plantation off of Missouri. The only true part about that is that the Franklin side of my family do come from Missouri. Um, and then the other side of the family, my great grandmother's side of the family is called the white sides. And we make the joke, you know, it's the black white side. We thought they came off of a plantation or at least my granddad told us we came off a plantation in Louisiana. And in fact, they come from, they come from Missouri. The white sides come from, yeah, that's what it was. The white sides come from Missouri and the Franklins come from Texas. And so there, and like I had a great grandfather that was like a con man that rode the, the trains. Like he worked as a porter on the train so that he could rob and then go to the next town and sell the stuff. And then rob and then go to the next thing you know so like there's oh, wow. stuff that i now know that is a little bit like it clues me into sort of the personality quirks of some of the people i'm related to yeah i learned over the summer so my my great my, my grandmother um she moved up here from alabama at like 16 and 17 after her older sisters and um, she just recently moved back so i was down there for the july 4th weekend and she was mm-hmm. telling me stories about her mother and about growing up down there and my great grandmother was a bootlegger she used to make like a beer and like hooch 
Yeah, <laughs> my great grandmother is crazy here. We always get that hustle. <laughs> Yo, but that was the spirit of the time. Like people, especially our people, we were just trying to figure out how to connect the dots because there were no resources for us. There were no social services for us. Right. Like everybody was kind of, you know, forced to kind of criminalize like their day to day because right. otherwise you're gonna starve. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's common. When I hear things like that, it's like that's common. Like everybody just like you said had their little hustle, man. Because everybody just had that spirit. And they I was eager to do something, but you know, you get back into these corners, man. Like that's the story of our people. Yeah, I mean, it really, right. that is the story. Because um, when I was even thinking about, like, I've always said, like, I always have a side hustle going. You know, when I worked at um, this company, you know, I had this little side business with other people that worked there. You know, when I worked, when I went, when I worked at this other company, I would do like knitting projects and kind of try to sell them here and there. When I, you know, mm-hmm. like I've always had a job, and then I had my little side hustle. And when I was thinking about forming my company for this podcasting network and, and, and sort of my production, my entertainment stuff that I do. I was trying to find the name that made the most sense. And I like to put my name in things, Charmaine, I like to say I'm grumpy Maine, or like when I'm upset or I'm hungry Maine, like I do that all the time and so I was trying to like make a joke of, of this type of stuff but there really wasn't anything that was popping up and then I was saying something to the effect of like I'm so tired of having jobs and and enjoying my side hustles more, like I want to turn my side hustle into my main hustle and then it kind of clicked, you know, it was like oh, that's what I'm going to call my company, main hustle and I'm just going to yeah. swap out main for my the way that I spell main in my name, um, um, and whenever it's it's one of those things in terms of like being mixed black where you kind of need those moments of validation in terms of your blackness is like when I tell people black people that my company name is Main Hustle they're like oh I see you know like I got you da, 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 and there's all this support for it but then when I tell um, either like my friends that grew up suburban you know mostly around white folks wasn't sure that the hustle had the right connotation and I was like that's because you grew up white because for us hustle doesn't mean necessarily the bad thing hustle comes from our old thing our old time experience of being released from slavery and having no abilities no resources like you say to to go into a legitimate life and unless they sort of signed back up for indentured servitude basically um with sharecropping and and things like that they were they weren't all given opportunities to be legal citizens i mean in fact they their citizenship was a question the entire time and so yeah they were probably bootleggers and yeah they were probably gun runners or um, or you know even transporting people like they were probably doing all kinds of things not to mention you know working as as cleaners and seamstresses and things like that where you really are hustling all day just to make your dime and um, and to have that in our in our history it, it has now ingrained in our culture so as a people we are just out here you know we're trying to hustle to get to that next level and I think that uh, to hear like it's a it's a weird kind of pride I don't know do you do you feel that because like here Hearing that you had a relative that was a bootlegger, like I instantly smiled, thinking, you know, oh, a hundred percent, yeah, 100%. right, like, and it's especially it being my my great grandmother, it was also kind of just like, and then you know, that's the thing, like I have, I was raised by women. It was there's even when I was down there, like it was me and my nephew, and there really there aren't uh, no other men in my family you know what I'm saying so right. the bond that I, I was sharing with my nephew at the time you know it was very necessary for me to be down there because if I wasn't down there there would be no male presence you know what I'm saying right. so um, there were times where I had to interject you know just kind of get off, off course a little bit you know between you know the whole structure of everything going on um, so it, you know hearing hearing that my great my great grandmother was holding it down in such a way right. and it just it's just yeah it, it was kind of like um, heartwarming yeah, <laughs> in a yeah like sense. I wasn't really even turned off to hear 
sure that my great grandfather was was on his hustle on the trains. Like he found a really ingenious way of getting by. And you mm-hmm. know what? What did they do? They were able to buy a house. They were able to raise mm-hmm. their kids. You know. And all right, he ended up disappearing. You know, stuff like that. Whatever. But yeah. Like so, there's other stuff in it. But it's different. If he was just like a thief, that's different. But that he was a thief with a plan and with a strategy. I think that's the thing. It's the intelligence. It's the, the you know behind this. The thoughtfulness behind some of these things. It's not even so much the action. It's like yeah, my grandmother was. Bull- like, but it's like how she did it mm-hmm. and how you know the execution you know like especially it, for a woman you imagine that in any time period it's harder for the women to get by than exactly than and for her to like be doing to not be taken advantage of right. and to like, not to be seen you know as a peer or to be taken seriously at right. all like I want to know more you know? about this woman like I want to watch her movie like I want to see you know what I'm saying like I uh, want to know what that life was like for her because that and you know all of those things kind of fed the curiosity of of knowing, you know, exactly how how far back this thing goes, because I know there's just a line of just resourceful people, you know, even when you just look at the probability of just survival, right. you know, and being able to pass it down. Like, I'm here because somebody before me survived, because somebody else before me provided, and so on and right. so forth. So I want to know who these people are, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. my grandmother's story in itself is, is crazy, you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. that whole down south just kind of thing, like, I didn't even think I was gonna, like, I enjoyed myself being down there, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I always do. I I think it's just the spirit of just what follows of just what the South represents kind of just it's, it's just always uneasy for me um, but the pace being down there you know I enjoyed it more than being in New York um, uh, I kind of like miss it a little bit to a degree when I got back to New York because New York is just like it's just crazy right. as shit but um, yeah but it's nice to the, the sense that I got from you from the from the first time we talked is is because you were raised by women and you had a family that was primary, primarily primarily uh, women and your strong women that you were raised by you you don't seem to come off with any of those things like you know I mean I only know you through the the kinds of times we talk but you seem to really value women you you talk about your daughter about the stuff that you're going to try to arm your daughter with as she gets older like you you seem to be uh, in terms of being a product of a female ran household and a female ran family that you value what the women in your life bring and you hope that you can give your daughter some of that strength. Yeah, I, I that definitely, I definitely try to. Stuff, you know, um, so that's yeah, I definitely try to. That's good, and at least she'll have exposure to that culture. You know, and we talked also too about her being Jamaican. Yeah, right. So she'll have, you know, she'll have that stuff on both sides of her family, and that's and that's um, that's going to be really great. What else in terms of like now that you kind of walk around the, you know, knowing that you have this information about yourself? What else does it give you? Do you feel like you get anything? What do you mean? Well, like for me, I'm feeling like okay, I it's not like I'm going to walk around and start saying I'm Gabonese or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm now curious about a country that I wasn't curious about before. And I've learned a little bit about them. Um, I, you know, I, I think many of us have that idea of pilgrimage to Africa at some point. Like we want to be able to do that. And I've always wanted to pass through the gates um, on the Ivory Coast just to just just in terms of like that. Yeah, at the castle. To, yeah, I like that connection to your ancestors and stuff like that. I've always wanted to do that. And if I do ever get a chance to do that, I will now be able to also, you know, take a trip to um 
with me it's like um it's uh it's like like we mentioned earlier about it being a bridge like now i know like which part of the continent i kind of like can step on at without feeling like a tourist right you know and so it's, like it's, it's, it's like, family or it's like proof there. it's like proof is like a receipt almost to a degree it's like yeah i can show up there and i can say listen you know i don't yeah, know my way okay. around but i know that at some point i was here you know um, right it's not like being in algeria or going to egypt and it's like i don't have a connection to any of that i would yeah. have to you know find my way um but i know exactly where I, you know where to go yeah. you know um so that that's what it is more so f- for me for anything um it gives me something to talk about you know is there any of the cultures that that you're curious about now that you are armed with the information of where your people come there were there were there were cultures that i were curious about before i i, I was armed with the information and mm. some of those things are what i, I kind of like um i'm diving into a little bit deeper than other things because um some of the things that i feel like just came innate and just intrinsically to me um those are the things that i really want to get into um that that feel like just resonates just naturally um, like food like i always love jollof rice you know what i'm saying like oh, okay. like yeah like when i was first introduced to jollof rice i was just like wow like where has this been like it was <laughs> it was it was literally like something that was missing from my life and it was yeah. just like wow like where has this been like this this agrees with me you know what i'm saying yeah, so yeah. like to find out that i have that western african heritage it's like okay like there are real things going on like my it feels like little pieces of like my my dna and my soul are kind of being activated and kind of like lit up kind of like yeah. you know i feel something like that too so i went to a juneteenth celebration here in la well actually it was in santa monica which i have to laugh about because santa monica is so white but it was like the only place for miles that had a juneteenth celebration and um and there were west african drummers and dancers uh present or you know they were here but they were practiced in west african mm-hmm. uh, dance and drumming and something about hearing and it's always been the case since i was little something about hearing drums african drums or uh japanese taiko drums both sounds of those drums have an effect on my body like i feel you know i mean mm-hmm. we've got rhythm and we you know we hear music and we're gonna dance to it too but there's something that's so like deep inside that gets ignited when i hear drums from africa or when i hear west africa or when i hear drums from from japan because it's different it's not like the you know drum and bass stuff that we have here it's just something mm-hmm. else there and, and i hear it and it pops up you know like i'm just i start bouncing and vibrating with it and so now i think a lot of my curiosity is more towards like i have a drum set but it's been sitting in boxes for two years because I moved into a tiny little apartment in LA I don't really have room for it um so I've always like wanted to learn drums and things but now that I'm armed with where my people come from I feel like I can kind of zero in to the types of the music rhythm and the times yeah. of drums that they actually use mm-hmm. and, and and things like that so so that's mm-hmm. actually something that I'm actively trying to do and again it's not because I'm going to try to you know pose and and wave a flag for a country I have you know no connection besides my DNA through but but what I do want to do is feel like, you know, they robbed my f- my relatives from their It's home. already there. Like, it's you already know, there. I want, like, to, yeah. I want to remember the things that they had, you know? And that's how you do it. And that's the part that they stole from us is they stole our culture. They stole our food. You know, you can imagine that those things like, you know, you eating that rice, filling some sort of thing that your blood was missing because it used to mm-hmm. get but doesn't get anymore. And same with with me and the drums. It's like there's a beat. It's that the I'm reignition missing. of an extinguished 
flame. That's yeah. all it is. It's like so, that's a part of the. Beauty. It's like a dull campfire right now. So that's what, and that's exactly what I mean about you know the bridge. That's like, exactly what it is. It's yeah. taking you to a place that you like. You're literally paving the way as you go. You know, but there's something there at the end. Like there's a destination. You know, it's not a, a paved road to nowhere. Like it's a, it's somewhere you just don't know where it is. Yeah, you're working backwards. Like that's all. Like you're just working backwards. You was dropped off somewhere, and now you got to find your way back. But you right. just don't know where you came from. Like mm-hmm. not, it's it's very man. It's very tangible. It feels good to to have that. Like if if nothing else, that's the stuff. It's like knowing that now because I have that bridge back to Africa, I can say that if I don't learn anything about the people that I came from, that part's on me at that point entirely. Mm-hmm. Like I can't. Mm-hmm. I can no longer say um, they stole this from us and now I don't have it. Uh, what I can say now is they stole it from us and we didn't have it for a really long time, but I'm going to get it back. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in however small way I can. Obviously, I'll never be able to fully immerse myself um, in those cultures that were that were stolen from us. But, you know, if I can get little things here and there, like I think, you know, it's I didn't really think about it the way you until the way you said about the rice. It was like, yeah, you know, maybe that's it because I'm always looking from from a young age. I mean, I remember like going to Tower Records and buying like a CD of African drums and just like picking one up because mm-hmm. I, I didn't know anything else to do. Like it was just something I wanted to hear. Um, but yeah, it does. It kind of fills in a, a blank. It fills in a gap. And, and that's the that's why I wanted to share it with somebody that I've talked to about this before, because I wanted to feel like do, I wanted to feel that connection because when because when I was because we actually video chatted the first time we were talking about it and I could see your face during those moments when we were talking about certain aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted the light that you had in your eyes, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So when I now got it, like, that was the first thing that, you're actually the first person that popped up in my head when I finally got When you results. sent me the email and told me that, you, I was just as excited for you. When you was like, <laughs> oh, and this is what you did. You said, oh, I have the results, but I'm going to wait until I speak to you. I was like, really? Like... <laughs> Because I wanted to now? feel that connection, like, because you gave me something uh, yeah. in that moment, like, that I didn't really know. Like, I knew I had the curiosity, but yeah. I didn't really know how bad I needed it or wanted it until Listen, I saw your face. And when they sent when they sent me the results and they had the little summary for, like, even just Chad, it was either Chad or Cameroon. And any other time I'd read about Chad or Cameroon is either some historical uh, re- reference, mm-hmm. right, or some historical significance or like in like a travel kind of like magazine or something sure, like yeah. that right at this at this moment as i'm reading it i'm reading about home right you know what i'm saying so it carries so much more weight it was just like these are the kind of people like this is you know their mannerisms this is how they are it's like yo like i'm reading about myself like it, it changes how i relate with a with a source that I, I can't go back and just look at Chad or Cameroon and be indifferent. You know what I mean? Right. Or it was any type of wonder or mystery because the mystery has been removed entirely. You know what right. I'm saying? Like it's home now, you know, like it's been solidified like that. That's where the wonder comes from. It's like, I know, you know, like before I didn't, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I had no, I would have so much fun. We, we had this conversation. I have fun with that, that, that discussion because it was nothing more for me to do with it. Yeah. You know, like, but now I know like that's where that, that look comes from. So like, yeah. even with you, like I'm, I mean, you like, you got me now wanting me to go figure out what tribes I'm from. <laughs> I don't have that now. Like, yeah, well, see, that, that remar- was the thing. That's like, OD remarkable. I am glad that I did it in the order that I did. I mean, because I think if I had gotten the results from that, even though I started the African Ancestry DNA test uh, earlier, uh, if I had gotten those results first, I probably would have ended there and been like, because I was craving that bridge to Africa more than I was yeah. craving the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but getting, but, but, but pulling that trigger on the Ancestry 
ancestry one and kind of filling in the rest of the gaps on the other stuff you know now it's like because I think that's the struggle of, as being a mixed race person is like we do tend to gravitate towards one more than the other or or whatever um, whether that's put upon us or we do it ourselves like in my case I don't believe that blackness is put upon me I was just raised around it and so it's what I feel more connected to and mm. you know and I talk about it as sort of the role of the dice the genetic role of the dice is what made me the coloring that I am but everything else about me is black you know like mm-hmm. just my color mm-hmm. isn't but you know my facial features is the the rhythm in my body is um you know like the what I feel is beautiful is black you know like everything about my culture comes more from the black side of my family than everywhere else and all of my other cultural touchstones are in these little segmented places like when I was mm-hmm. growing up I was black everywhere except for in my grandmother's house I was <clears throat> Japanese in my grandmother's house but when I was outside I couldn't be Japanese so I had to be black because that's what I was you know like um but so like I was always black but I was never African and this is now a way of telling me like I like you said if I step foot on the continent I can now know that if I step foot here I'm coming back home to a degree and if I step foot here I'm a tourist if I go to Egypt wow. I'm a tourist if I go to Gabon I'm home mm-hmm. you know exactly and, I think, and I, so yeah I wanted to share that with you because I felt like you gave me something there when you shared your story with me I wanted to I wanted to talk through mine with you because of that not that I feel like I'm giving you something but that I feel like you were the person who opened that up for me so I wanted to talk to you about it again <laughs> but let's let's talk about what else is going on with you you have your Instagram channel um, raised by rap you got your business let's let's talk about what else you got going on it's been a while yeah so it's um definitely it's been a little while it's a lot of the same thing though so you know mostly media arts and just bringing it all together and just figuring out how it makes sense um, but a lot of the business models is changing the way that art is consumed and the way that art is commodified and the way that artists um, connected dots you know from from one job one gig one paying piece one show to the next um, maintain motivations and all of that so that's really where um you know having good people in your corners and getting the right team together like that's where my mind is at right now I'm, I'm going from a space where I was like um, before my daughter was born I was like creating a lot of art I was like going full speed I had like four or five or six projects I was working on at a time mm-hmm. um, but they weren't really uh, consolidated they weren't only in, in one place they were like all in different places they were existing kind of like independently of themselves even though they all came from the same source being myself um, so before my daughter was born that's kind of how I was operating after my daughter was born in 2014 I took some time back and I haven't really created anything for public consumption kind of just creating things just because that's just what happens when I wake right. up in the morning um, but I kind of was more so just uh, just really trying to figure out the distribution and how they all work together so I got into the whole OD Multimedia is a, is a company that I founded it's um, basically goods and services it's the things that we make and the things that we do you know and I, that's the basic way that I kind of just was able to break it down so Raised by Rap is just something you know something that I've made you know it just goes in another box of other things that I've made um, and it's it's uh, it's just a piece of the puzzle really um, but Raised by Rap is really academic kind of like documentary style um, series that just 
goes into just the history of how rap music, um, for better or for worse, um, played an impact in our formative years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people was more positive than negative, but I have to just open it up to you know both angles because I don't want to be political and push it and have an agenda, you know. Um, and also because you know truth is truth and real is real. You know, I don't expect everybody to you know be um, influenced positively by rap or hip hop because that's not necessarily the case. Right. Um, some people are very motivated to do wrong, you know. And that's just the, that's why that's what happens. But um, the, for the most part, what I'm trying to prove because actually I'm lying, I do have some sort of an agenda. My agenda, <laughs> my agenda is that there's a lot of practical practical application is what I'm is the term I'm looking for that comes from the heavy consumption of rap music, and uh, that's what I'm trying to prove. So I, I, I've been getting a lot of that where people have been able to take things that they've gotten from you know listening to rap music and apply it directly to their lives and you know propel themselves forward. You know um, so where people talk- might not necessarily thought that that had been the case. So okay, so talk a little bit about raised by rap. So what you have is you either shoot or receive a video of someone um, telling you about how rap and hip hop affected them growing up, and then they also rap their song mm-hmm. that yeah. the song that touched them the most to you. Yeah. So usually what I get is I get people. Um, I try to film if I can. I had the, the furthest um, video that I've received was from uh, this guy in Chicago. Everything else has been I pretty saw local. That one, yeah. Yeah. The, everything else has been pretty local to New York. So I've kind of been jumping around the city and kind of just um, shooting people on my own and reaching out to people through Instagram and just jumping in DMs and things like that. Um, so basically what happens is I'll, I'll send somebody information let them know exactly what I'm trying to do. They need to pick a song or a verse that has impacted them, you know, for better or for worse, like I said before. Um, and what they do is they'll recount the verse or, or rap, rap it. I don't know what the term is. Um, yeah, I almost made the sick of saying freestyle, but I'm like, yeah, that's not it. You're just, yeah, you're just rapping the song. Yeah, rap, <laughs> rapping the verse, yeah, basically. So I just need people to perform the verse, you know, um, acapella, acapella style. And then um, they just talk about the impact it's had on them. And I just try to chop it up in a way to where it's, you know, it's concise and that is still, you know, entertaining. And um, that's pretty much it. I've done like 10 or 11 today. I have like two more in my phone that I need to get out. Yeah, that's, pre- that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool uh, case study too in terms of like what, I mean, because our uh, hip hop culture is, is is so broad here, you know, like, I'm, I mean, I, I grew up really affected by East Coast rap, even though I grew up in the West Coast. And then uh, NWA came out and that blew up in my world. Like, because mm-hmm. that was rap from my neighborhood, like legitimately my neighborhood. I was living on the on the border of uh, Compton and North Long Beach at the time and straight out of Compton dropped and it was like this is like my neighborhood this is my streets these are the these are like the dudes I walk past on the way to school every day you know yeah. um, and and so I can I but before that it was um you know Slick Rick and Run DMC and like like for me hip hop has meant hip hop has been that connection to the missing drums that I beat that I've been here you know like it was the way that I I got access to that kind of stuff to a degree and then to see to see your your project go by where you know from one person it's you know lyrics from Common and another person it's been on there I've seen um, um, Big L um, yeah we had a, we had the Jay Z um, I saw the Jay Z one as well and so like th- like I was watching those and I could see how those guys were connected to the, those pieces of music and stuff like that but I was like but, yeah but even their their response to the music they were hearing is so different from mine um, uh-huh. that like mm-hmm. that's what would be so interesting as your project grows as, as your channel continues to develop the the um, the different ways that that rap has affected people will be I, I think it's beautiful I think it's a really good idea so yeah, you're so looking for a lot people of that though, material has really been obscure I'm definitely looking for more submissions and definitely looking for more people to participate um, where I, the demand is actually there 
I just got to figure out a way to kind of like, if I can do it all at one time, you know, like I'm right. kind of like day to day booking people day to day. If I can kind of like get like a, like a space and just get people in like one room, you know. Right. Um, but that's, that's that's the biggest thing, chasing people around. So tell people how to get at you though. So in case in case they're listening and they want to participate in your project, to first go to Instagram. Oh, definitely go to Instagram. It's um at raised underscore by underscore rap. Um, you can go and check it out see the series get a feel for exactly um you know what the project is mm-hmm. um what it represents um i also can be reached at multi at multi od media and then uh, my contact information pretty, pretty much flows from there okay yeah cool. hopefully we can get you a couple people to participate yeah yeah definitely but since it has been a little while and we haven't talked is there anything else that you want to share with the audience um no multimedia od multimedia that's pretty much it okay. right now we just put this vision test tease out uh odlocal.com check that out goods and services basically my more products going out there soon uh, prints and uh, a lot of different fun things yeah. all right cool well thank you so much for joining me back again and just thank thank you for original being my original guy that came out to talk to me um you always have a special place in my heart because of that because i you that first conversation we had before we even were really recording our official discussion was the thing that opened up and showed me what Militantly Mix was going to turn into. This is about telling our stories. So yeah. I thank you so much for giving me that because that's that's what you did. You just started sharing and it's it's really opened up to what Militantly Mix has become. And so I'll always, I'll always appreciate you for that. But yeah, let's let's make sure that the audience, if you uh, follow him on Instagram at raise underscore by underscore rep and at multi at multi od media yeah all right that's that's great thank you so much thanks for having me Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.